The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. The Dow breaks 30,000 for the first time with Tuesday's rally putting the index on track for its best month since 1987. President-elect Joe Biden says the Trump administration has made sincere efforts to transfer power, telling NBC in his first interview since the election that he is confident this will continue. Immediately, we've gotten outreach from from the national security shop, from just across the board. And uh, they're already working out. My ability to get presidential daily briefs, we're already working out, meeting with the COVID team in the, the White French House. President Emmanuel Macron says the country must do everything it can to avoid a third wave as he outlines easing restrictions into Christmas, saying the worst has passed for now. And the British Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, prepares to unveil a £4.3 billion spending plan by mass unemployment as public borrowing hits highs not seen since the Second World War. Airlines are set to lose $160 billion over this year and next as the International Air Transport Association warns not enough is being done to save the industry. We cannot wait for the vaccine to reopen borders and to restart uh, the, uh, uh, the traffic uh, significantly. So that the reason why we are urging government to implement a systematic testing of passengers Sounds like dinner time. It's a bit Pavlov's dog, isn't it? The response to that. Where's the food? Uh, well, it's a good question for good investors. Morning. Good morning to How you. Are you. Yeah, very well, thank you. It's almost like we just met, although we've been here for hours. I know, I know. But good morning. The, We're the, establishing the viewers the, the, here the, as well. the rapport. The good morning to you and, you and you. Uh, the Dow Jones has closed above 30,000 then for the first time with the vaccine breakthroughs, raising hopes for an economic recovery and the presidential transition process apparently finally smoothly underway now. The 30 stock index is on pace for its best monthly performance since January 1987, having surged over 13% so far in November. So let's have a look at the uh, Dow Jones then year to date. And there are a few things to point out, uh, and I'll just mention these, and then Steve's going to come in and show you some of the stocks that have really driven this. But even as we talk about this 30,000, just take a look at this little number up here. The year to date performance is actually about five and a quarter of 1%. And as you track the chart here, you can see how investor sentiment waxed and waned across the year as we had the lockdown and we had reaction to some of the negative news on individual sectors that were obviously impacted by the COVID lockdowns. Now, let me just give you a couple of thoughts. What does this tell us about the near-term future for the Dow? Practically nothing. Bear in mind that whilst it is a landmark number, and it does, of course, represent something of a symbolic milestone, its predictive value over the short term is relatively limited. It might do better for you over the medium term, but bear in mind as well that this 
index now stands at a valuation of close to 30 times, which is the number we got to back in 1999, and we know what happened shortly thereafter. That is a but great of course, stat. it is not predictive of anything. No, that is a great stat. And, and, and we'll come to what 30,000 actually means to various people in a few moments' time as well. But let's just have a, a, a quick look uh, at uh, some of the uh, individual stocks and the, the, the key players rear as well. Of course, Apple got into the index as well. That one is up 280% uh, on this journey since 20,000 in January 2017 as well. Salesforce 236. So you can see there is a tech heavy bias as well. Microsoft 234%. Uh, and then more traditional names such as Visa uh, and Nike as well, both up in the region uh, of 130,000. So I've just looked up a word, a word that I've used many times throughout my life as well. And the word is sacred. Mm. And you're about to, in fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, Go on. Well, I, I don't know which way around to do this. Sacred means connected with God or a God or dedicated to a religious purpose. So deserving veneration. That is what sacred actually means. Well, this is what the president says about Dow 30,000. The stock market, Dow Jones Industrial Average, just hit 30,000, which is the highest in history. We've never broken 30,000, and that's just despite uh, everything that's taken place with the pandemic. I'm very uh, thrilled with what's happened on the vaccine front. That's been absolutely incredible. It's, uh, nothing like that has ever happened medically, and uh, I think people are acknowledging that, and it's having a big effect. But. Uh, the stock market's just broken 30,000. Never been broken, that number. That's a sacred number, 30,000. Nobody thought they'd ever see it. Hmm. Sir, with all due respect, that is not a sacred number. It is not venerated uh, for a religious purpose. It is not godlike or to do with gods as well. So a lot of nonsense is spoken about these levels as well. It is a big shiny number. But more important to me than 30,000 is the figure that Jeff meant, which is those valuations at a very big level. Look, I've just got one thing to say, and I'm not saying the market's going up. I'm not saying the market's going down. That is not our job. Our job is to just give more information so our viewers can make that decision. But what a number like you were talking about there at 30 times is saying, it is saying that the economics are all going to go right. It is saying that the corporate numbers are all going to go right. It is saying that the politics is going to go right. It is saying that COVID is going to go right. And the fifth point is that there's going to be no black swan. When you get to those kind of numbers, it is saying economics, corporates, politics, COVID-19, plus no black swans are all going to move in the right direction because there is no leeway whatsoever uh, for a downtick in the market when you've got those kind of levels 30 times forward. A big argument about what comes next here. And I know there are those on the positive side of this argument who say, who cares? Valuation doesn't matter over the short term when you've and got governments right. that are focused on a reflation trade at this point. Mm. So think about growth and inflation for the next two quarters. And then you've got justification for higher multiples for the equity market. There are others like Jan Hatzius at Goldman Sachs, who came out within the last 24 hours with a downgrade on Q1 and Q2 GDP, because he says in the near term, there is more economic damage to happen. And that must have some implications for earnings profiles. I know Karen's coming and Karen, you will. I just want to say one more thing. There is something that is down aggressively for the month, really aggressively. And it's not oil. It's not copper. It's not the Dow. It's not even the dear old footsie. It is the VIX. The VIX, remember that? Remember what you guys were all excited about out there? You call buyers, you just found calls. 
And I'm not just talking about the Vision Fund, I'm talking about the rest of them as well. The VIX is trading circa 21. There you go, it's on the screen. Well done, producers, for anticipating that. It is down 45% month to date. What happened to you lot out there who were buying the market but wanted to put a bit of protection on because of the volatility? I heard you all on the way up, but not one of you is buying that protection, are you? Hold your hand up now at home if you're buying that protection. No, not one of you. Karen. Steve, I was just going to weigh in with some comments on a trip down memory lane. If we consider what happened back uh, when we hit 20,000 points back in January 2017, uh, this was some of the copy at the time. Roughly, Wall Street was betting on President Trump slashing taxes. We got that. Ramping up infrastructure spending. We're still waiting on some of that. Cut regulation. We did get that. So a couple of ticks for for what was achieved and and across for what wasn't. Also, that uh, there wouldn't be any disruptions to global trade. We certainly they had a ton of disruptions. If you think about the trade war that was waged since early 2017, we had all those disruptions, yet the market still rallied. And of course, we've got a lot more in the form of a pandemic that uh, simply royal stocks as well. So I think it's very unpredictable when you talk about the catalyst that can get you to a threshold. And this time it'd been 30,000. And, and what have we got? Transition team, uh, confidence, encouraging signals around the US political side and also the vaccine. A lot more can happen from here is the point. If you're looking at what took you to, to this threshold. The other point is about what do you consider worth following and what has implications for the market? If you look at the capitalization of the Dow, $9.2 trillion, only 28 0.2 billion is indexed to the Dow. So what is the significance of some of these smaller indices these days? Are they as relevant as a wide body of stocks? And the S&P 500, which of course also got to fresh records yesterday, it has a market cap of 32 trillion. But if you look at the indexing, it is $4.6 trillion indexed to that particular uh, S&P uh, 500 level of stocks. So it's just worth keeping in mind what uh, the index trackers and some of those passes are now following and whether they'll be dragged into the market. So many fascinating stories to discuss this morning. Karen, thank you so much for that. And thank you to the team for popping up the Russell, which arguably has seen more interesting action than the Dow over the recent sessions. Considerably more, isn't it? It is up a lot. So it was up 1.94% yesterday, fourth session in a row, seven out of eight positive. It's up 20.5% for the month. For the month. For the month. And I'd be interested to know how many people actually owned it, you know, on that basis in the professional investment community. I, I think Karen makes the excellent point about the passives as well. And, and I think you combine that passives with your mm. comment about the momentum. And I kind of think we have a large part of the story of what we're doing here. Don't worry about the valuations. It's going up. We buy it, lads. That's the thing. We're going to talk some more about the markets. We've got a lot of guests coming up who are going to give us some market views. We're also going to hear from President-elect Joe Biden, um, an important interview with NBC. He says the Trump administration has changed American politics as he begins his transition to the White House. This is not a third Obama term because there's we, we face a totally different world than we faced in the Obama-Biden administration. The president, this President Trump, has changed the landscape. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
Uh, President-elect Joe Biden has told NBC exclusively that Trump officials have made sincere attempts to aid the transition of power. This as the current administration approved giving the incoming leader the presidential daily briefing. Speaking in his first interview since the election, Mr. Biden said communication with White House staff had been productive. Immediately, we've gotten outreach from uh, from the national security shop, from uh, to just across the board. And uh, they're already working out my ability to get presidential daily briefs. We're already working out meeting with the COVID team in the White House and how to not only distribute, but get a, from a vaccine being distributed to a, being a person able to get vaccinated. So I think we're going to not be so far behind the curve as we thought we might be in the past. And there's a lot of immediate discussion. And, uh, and, and I must say, the outreach has been sincere. There's, it's not been begrudging so far. And I don't expect it to be. So, the, yes, it's already begun. And Biden also provided clues about the makeup of his cabinet, saying he was considering nominating both Democrats and Republicans. America's back. We're at the head of the table once again. I've spoken with over 20 world leaders, and uh, they all are literally um, really pleased and somewhat excited. America's going to reassert its role in the world and uh, be a coalition builder. This lineup, the, those you've selected so far, a lot of familiar faces among them. What do you say to those who are wondering if you're trying to create a third Obama term? This is not a third Obama term because there's, we, we face a totally different world than we faced in the Obama-Biden administration. The president, this President Trump has changed the landscape. It's become uh, America first, which meant America alone. We find ourselves in a position where our alliances are being frayed. It's a totally different. That's why I found people who, uh, who joined the administration uh, in key points that represent uh, the spectrum of the American people as well as the spectrum of the Democratic Party. Have you considered, for the sake of national unity, uh, selecting or nominating a Republican, someone who voted for President Trump? Yes, and we still have a lot more appointments to make. I want this country to be united. The purpose of our administration is once again united. We can't keep this virulent political dialogue going. It has to end. Should we expect an announcement? No. Not ever or not soon? No, not soon. Okay. What about um, former rivals from your own party, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren? Uh, have you talked to them about cabinet positions? Well, I've, I've, I've talked to the look, as I said, the, we already have significant representation among progressives in our administration, but there's nothing really off the table. But one thing is really critical, taking someone out of the Senate, taking someone out of the House, um, at a particularly a person of consequence, is a really difficult decision that have to be made. I have a very ambitious, very progressive agenda, and it's going to take a really strong leaders in the House and Senate to get it done. Joe Biden there uh, speaking with NBC. Uh, Laurie Bettinger is co-president of Alliance Bank and former director of the Troubled Asset Relief Program. Laurie, great to have you with us this morning. Look, as we as we look at the challenge that's facing Janet Yellen, who we think will be confirmed as the next head of the Fed, and of course the, the government as a whole, 
It looks different from, from what you had to face, which was largely a solvency issue for the Troubled Asset Relief Program. Right now, we don't see widespread in, insolvency problems, but we do see very high unemployment and the risk of second round effects here. How, how do you think the new team should go about propping up the US economy and building new growth? You're absolutely right. When we look at what's going on with the US economy right now, it's so different from the prior crisis. I mean, this is, as so many people have said, this is a public health crisis that has put us into economic recession. And so the tools that you might use to address the problem directly are not the tools that economic policymakers have at their disposal right now. And I think, you know, if, um, if Janet Yellen is confirmed, is not, you know, formally nominated and confirmed as Treasury Secretary, it's going to be a very interesting process to be able to work with Congress to pass stimulus. And I think what is going to be so key is that the Treasury Department, you know, hopefully headed by um, Ms. Yellen, is going to have to take the arguments directly to the American public and make the cases very clearly not with lots of economic jargon about why we need stimulus and why we need stimulus in a size and magnitude that will sort of move the needle on the economy even before, for example, a vaccine is widely available. But how should that stimulus be implemented? I mean, we, we've seen a very aggressive Fed, but still the domestic credit cycle seems to be very depressed, notwithstanding everything the Fed has done, driving down rates and introducing QE into the system yet again. So what needs to happen on the fiscal side to make sure that there is investment for growth rather than just propping up troubled businesses or supporting those who are unemployed who may not get a job again for years? Yeah, I think you need very extensive stimulus. And, you know, if you look back at the numbers that were associated, you know, that were thrown out in 2008, 2009, as crazy as it seems, I think those numbers, you know, seven, eight hundred billion are probably too small at this point. You know, as you mentioned, there's a limit to what the Fed can do on the monetary side. At this point, you need stimulus, whether it's going directly to state and local governments to ensure that they can do their functions, whether you're looking at large scale infrastructure bills which can, you know, have quite a direct employment and stimulus effect across the country. But to get that, you have to get Congress on board. And that's why I think that the task, you know, I mean, there's only so much you can do at Treasury around the policy nuances. You have to get Congress to agree to really sizable stimulus. Laurie, how useful is it then having someone who has been at the head of the Federal Reserve now on the Treasury side and being able to explain what the limitations are of monetary policy to explain what the role is of fiscal? Surely that must be useful at this point. Oh, I think it would be hugely useful. I mean, it's hard to imagine someone better prepared for this role, right? I mean, Janet Yellen has run the Fed. She's been the vice chair of the Fed. She's run the Council on Economic Advisors. She's run, you know, the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank. And so I think she knows every part of the system inside and out. She's a labor economist by training, so can speak to unemployment and how, as we've pointed out in this conversation, lingering unemployment can really adversely affect the economy. This is a job, though, right, that is going to be almost purely political. But she has the, I think, ability and the respect across the aisle at the different, you know, financial um, institutions in the United States 
to make those arguments. So it's, I, I can't think of anyone that would be better positioned to make those arguments in a way that everyone can understand, not just PhD economists. Laurie, as you mentioned, economists and in particular Janet Yellen, we spent much time over the last few years talking about the Phillips curve, the link between unemployment and inflation. And Janet Yellen was also exploring this link. Are we going to spend the next five years talking about this, do you think, as we start to see jobs brought back to the economy, the unemployment rate brought lower, and then obviously in a conversation about when you need to start exiting this extraordinary monetary stimulus? Do you think that conversation is going to be had? Um, I think if it's being had, it's probably, you know, in some of the more academic circles. I would certainly hope that we're not discussing the Phillips curve, you know, when we're trying to convince the American public of the need to support a big stimulus. You'd probably start losing people at that point. But, I mean, you do raise a good point, you know, assuming we can get past this and the economy can really start growing and we can start to see unemployment figures really improve, you know, not just um, sort of in fits and starts then I think you will start hearing that. And, you know, but the great thing is if you have someone like a Janet Yellen in place, I mean, she certainly understands the interplay between interest rates and monetary policy and the effects that, you know, huge fiscal stimulus can have on those. Uh, Laurie, a couple of points. Um, Very briefly, I spoke to Mr. Krugman recently and he was saying a lot of economists now saying they get his uh, premise on actually how you can expand debt levels to uh, keep the economy going and and to galvanise it as well. He says people have just kind of thrown in the towel on their idea that you need to have lower debt levels as well. Do you think the US is going to get used to having more debt for longer uh, under Mrs. Yellen and, of course, whoever is going to be the next uh, chair of the uh, Federal Reserve, which is something we could talk about in a little bit as well? I think, and in general, you know, the country has gotten used to higher levels of debt. I'm not sure that I see, you know, the people running sort of the key financial institutions either now or in the future embracing that is acceptable for the long term. I mean, I think if we include Ms. Yellen in this conversation, you know, she's certainly spoken about the need to have sufficient government stimulus, but, you know, made clear that she doesn't think sort of extremely high levels of debt are sustainable in the long run. So I think it's hard to say that that's just going to become our new normal and no one's going to be concerned about it. But we're certainly living with that normal and we've been doing so for some time now. And because of this crossover from central banker uh, to politician, and we've seen, of course, uh, from politician to central banker here in Europe with Madame Lagarde as well. Uh, do you see the independence of the central bank being threatened in any way, shape or form? And I'll just sneak in the second point that I was tr- trying to allude to is that a Democrat, Lael Brainard, didn't get the job of Treasury Secretary because there are many people think that she will replace a Republican, Mr. Powell, in February 2022. You know, I don't, that's not something that concerns me, you know, right away. I think if anything, having someone with, that has had so much experience with the Federal Reserve System, you have, I would assume, sort of a very ingrained sense of the importance of that independence. And you're in a different role now. Treasury has a very different function. I I would think that you would still respect that independence. And, you know, you've lived it for so many years of your life and it's been such a key part of your career. It would seem unlikely to me that, you know, you land at Treasury and all of a sudden, you know, that that goes away. I wouldn't expect to see that. Laurie, can I just ask you about inflation since we have you? I'd love to get your opinion here because as you look at import prices in the US, they are rising. We're we're looking now around 2%. And as I look at Asian export pricing, they they are also seeing rising prices. Is there going to be a point 
perhaps towards the back end of 2021, where the Fed has to begin to acknowledge that rising inflation is reducing household wealth and income, and that ultimately the the only way perversely to improve the fortunes of Americans is to start tightening interest rates? I think that's a great question. And, you know, it's hard to see that happening anytime before the end of 2021, as you say. Um, it, It just feels like it's almost premature to address that given, you know, what's going on with the economy and the unemployment markets now. And also, you know, what happens in the public health world? Like how long does it actually take for the world to return to something more normalized, if not, you know, a completely um, sort of normal existence? So I just, I think it, yes, at some point in the future, but putting any form of date on that future feels very difficult to me right now. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.